This is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And this month, we're talking about Dark Souls, developed and published by From Software. Uh, This game was released for Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 way back in 2011, with uh, several subsequent releases on PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch, where I played it for this go-around. This is... The game from what became a genre of Souls-likes. It is action role-playing, published by Namco Bandai, and while it is a successor to the less popular Demon Souls, uh, it has spawned more direct sequels and then spin-off games like Sekiro and uh, a host of imitators than you can shake a stick at. Oh yeah, I think every single game we look at on Steam now, it's like, what is this game? It is a Souls-like. That's right, it got its own Steam genre tag, so that (laughs) is probably the only thing we have to go by for what is an actual genre these days. So, I actually joined Book Club because I needed someone to force me to finish this game. This is a game that everyone (laughs) talks about, but it is so... Like, I I can't... I could never get myself to sit through it. Like, I fucking hated it. But Brian (laughs) loved it, and I I, I couldn't believe it, because me and Brian are normally on the same page, but... I needed to see what he saw, so thank you for making me play this game. (laughs) You're welcome, and to be perfectly honest, I bounced off this game pretty hard the first time I tried to play it, too. My first time through, I played about 30 hours and just gave up in, like, Blight Town. Wow. Surprise, surprise. And then I came back months later and and finally finished it, and that uh, gave me a game that would become my favorite for until now. Yeah. It's still your favorite? It's still my favorite game that I have played i believe i'm excited for this conversation then because we have way <laughs> different feelings about it that's fair that's fair i i am glad i played it though I, I i can't believe you went 30 hours in and then stopped for me i think i've started this game no less than god 15 times because again everyone talks about how great it is but i couldn't get ever get past the first five to ten hours like i just kept bouncing out yeah and you know when you go to talk about this game you're going to talk about uh, it's difficulty. That's like the first thing people notice about it is it is an uh, unforgiving game. And the director of the game, Hidetaka Miyazaki, actually has a quote about the game's difficulty. Uh, he is you know, famously known for basically saying that this game is a game that's meant to give you a feeling of overcoming a great obstacle. And yeah, it, it's, a, it's a fucking obstacle. <laughs> it is a very <laughs> difficult game. And uh, you know, he became, Hidetaka Miyazaki kind of became pretty famous for directing uh, this game and its predecessors, and you know, I don't th- believe auteur in auteur theory or anything like that, but there is a strong through line in his titles that can't be denied. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely difficult, but that's not ever what bounced me out. We'll probably talk about this a little bit when we get into it a little bit more, but for me, it was the obfuscation like, everything is a freaking mystery, including the controls, what everything <laughs> means. Like, do you want to kindle? What the fuck is kindling? No one explained any of this to me, but these are like things that are like absolutely paramount to you understanding and enjoying the game, but no one ever explains it to you. So like everything was just confusing constantly. Like it wasn't even that it was hard because it is hard, but I beat Sekiro. No problem. And I loved Sekiro. No problem at all beating Sekiro. No problems at all. Well, well, this is me much later. The the post-traumatic stress is over. I think I almost threw a controller at my TV a couple times during that game. But you're right. You felt so much better because of how hard it was once you finished it. But at least then they explained the concepts and, and, and the point of the game and what you're supposed to be doing. There was none of that here. And that's what I think killed me every time I tried to play it. It's true. They set up a lot of initial stakes, but they keep things pretty vague. Well, let's talk a little bit about those initial stakes. Uh, You wake up in this game and you start off as an undead in a jail or asylum, and you're supposed to return to Lordran um, and link to the fire to prolong this age of fire and prolong the rule of an established but decaying pantheon. 
Yeah, that's right. So right when you're watching that opening cinematic, you can see all the major movers and shakers of this world. Uh, Nido, the first of the dead, uh, the Witch of Isolith and her Daughters of Chaos, uh, Gwyn, the Lord of Sunlight, and the Furtive Pygmy. Uh, easily forgotten, which is true. Uh, who the fuck <laughs> also, what um, the fuck is furtive? <laughs> I had to look that up. I'm like, why? Like, they just have all these stupid old-timey names for things that just sound interesting but totally aren't. Well, it, apparently it works on me because I find them evocative. Not all of us are allergic oh to vocabulary. <laughs> How many times do you use the word furtive in a day? And if you say more than one... Oh, it's definitely zero. You're... And that's, okay. I mean, the furtive pygmy, he's easily forgotten. Let's forget about him and talk about something else. <laughs> interesting thing there is you do end up killing all those fuckers right i mean right off the bat they're showing you that are what are going to be the primary bosses of the game and yeah uh, i guess you probably don't know that right off the bat since these creatures are or these gods are introduced as like things that have faded into legend but you do end up finding and, and taking on all of those uh members of the pantheon as you do in true video game fashion hack and slash your way to the top amen so i think an interesting thing to talk about would be we have this genre in Steam, on the Steam tag, Souls-like. So what exactly is a Souls-like? I'd say this game is a whole launching pad for that entire thing, which means it's the Soulsiest of the Souls. Uh, so what are the qualities <laughs> here that other games are trying to get to? It will I'm, piss you off, number <laughs> so, one. So that's true, and, and as a rule, I'm going to throw this out there that I don't like when uh, games are... Or, genres are defined by a game like metroidvania like if it's not super metroid or castlevania symphony of the night it's not the ideal metroidvania uh, so f you but you know that's that's why i don't like souls like like i like the ideas that a lot of games are trying to emulate with souls like and i can go through a couple that stick out to me but i don't like the idea of an entire genre being based on like the platonic ideal being one game it seems limiting right ah well what's your quick list before we get into too deep into any one topic sure so uh to me like punishing but fair combat is is the first one and the combat in particular has to prioritize animation rather than player input like once you're committed to a move you're going to see that fucking move finish before you can do anything else um rolling a stamina meter uh and boss battles all of those are sort of elements of the combat that i think are are strong souls-like indicators yeah, I think I've got two more to add to that, too. And, and it's more about the world than the combat. You almost always see a uh, when you get to a spot where you're saving or you're resting, all the enemies come back the second mm-hmm. you rest. So it's not like you clear an area, you save, and everything's good. No, if you choose to save and restore yourself, you're restoring everything else. Um, and then also, when you die, you lose your progress. That was probably one of the most infuriating things that's interesting, like progress erasing, both in terms of saving and combat. I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking like XP here. So, like when when you die, at least in Souls, now it changes a little bit throughout the genre. But when you die, generally speaking, uh, you lose all your progress, and you have to go back and get to that spot again before you die again, or you will lose everything. And things like Hollow Knight use that pretty much exactly the same. But then you right. see some other games like Remnant that weren't bad like that. I think it's actually a lot more punishing in something like Hollow Knight than it is in Dark Souls. Like, after a little while, and, you know, given I've played this game a lot more than a first time or whatever, but the dying penalty in Dark Souls to me, losing souls or whatever, is actually really not a big deal at all. Like, I don't think level ups particularly make a character that much more powerful you can grind back up the amount of souls you're going to lose pretty quickly unless it's like you die and don't recover your um, your soul after a big boss battle, which, generally speaking, is unlikely. I don't know. I it, After a little while, like this seemed like such a really awful thing when I first started playing, but now I, I don't really consider it that much of a penalty at all. I would kind of second that as well. Um, I didn't get through the whole game. Like, I only got into the depths. I didn't get to Blight Town. Uh, but when I first started playing it, when I died twice and lost all that experience, I was all, no, this is awful, all my progress. And then, you know, it, it was less uh, less tension when I died and I was going back for it because I kind of felt like, okay, 
this there's this experience here, but it takes so much to get to the next level anyways that you know it's not like I'm um losing actual levels. I'm just losing progress possible progress towards the next level. Yeah, it was definitely more damning at the beginning because again, you're already feeling so behind the eight ball. So you feel like you need like every little bit, some kind of progress so that you can move forward and then that just gets taken away from you all the time. It's like one of those like hard hitting things. I was going to add a number six to the list of things that seem Souls-like and that would be um, levels that kind of fold in on itself and shortcuts. So you do like all this stuff and then you find like a ladder that you can kick down and then you're back at the area that you were at before and it's easy to move past. So I know we're going to talk about that, but that is something definitely you see in souls like a lot. Totally. And that's a great feeling on top of that environmental storytelling souls likes as they're, you know, generally are, they have a extensive lore and backstory and a well-developed setting but a pretty minimalist plot and story as it actually happens in the game. Like, I could list out the five things you're asked to do in Dark Souls, you know, pretty quickly. There And there really are just, like, basically four or five tasks in the entire game. Um, so the minimalist story, but very deep lore and backstory is probably another hallmark for me. Well, why don't we start there, since we kind of listed out everything. Why don't we start with the story? Brian, you are the resident expert on Dark Souls. Tell me... <laughs> how you feel about this type of storytelling. So the thing that I like about what Dark Souls does with its environmental storytelling is it it lets you draw your own conclusions uh, and it lets you sort of meet out how much story you're getting rather than having a game throw it in your face or ask you to trawl through a, uh, a glossary or a, you know, a lore codex or something like that. For example, you explore around the environment, you find uh, a weapon or a piece of armor hidden off in some corner by a corpse. You can tell right away from what's on that armor who this person was, maybe what they were doing. If you look at the description on the armor, you can tell even more about maybe the nation this person was from and the uh, what impact it had on the uh, the events that caused uh, Lordran, the setting of this game. Um, to become the way it was and that to me is just so much more elegant than them saying your codex has been updated go into this menu and read some bullshit yeah okay so this is where i've heard you talk about this a bunch of times and and i I will admit for me the most interesting part of dark souls was the story but i never felt that way when i was playing the game i felt that way when i went online and watched (laughs) uh Videos from like Vidya or, or whatever. Not like, Vidya, there yeah. are people <laughs> that have spent hundreds of hours pulling out of their ass, I assume, and these small few details from, from the game, like these elaborate stories. And it is such a good story, but I'm still not convinced that's the story of Dark Souls. I feel <laughs> like the best story of Dark Souls is the fan fiction that people have made online, not the game, not not the game's presented story. Yeah, you you bring up an excellent point about another thing that's sort of key in a Souls-like, and that's multiplayer, be that both synchronous and asynchronous, right? The asynchronous multiplayer is like the stories and the, the messages that you leave for other players. The synchronous is the teaming up to battle a boss, whatever. Um, and to me, the community aspect of Dark Souls is something where you like go online and look up, um, you know, be it a walkthrough or just a YouTube video on lore. Um, the community aspect of the game is to me, almost as important as the experience that you're getting on the page. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and to be fair, I played the first 20 hours, I think, but the, the first two bells part, I believe, uh, without multiplayer. In fact, I didn't know mul- that multiplayer part existed. And, oh I, and I hated the game, I gotta be honest. Uh, <laughs> I hated it so much, and I, as much as I've, I've known about Dark Souls, I never knew there was multiplayer. And I was ready to quit after the two bells, but then me and you started playing multiplayer, and that was so much more enjoyable. And that actually got me through to the end of the game. I don't think if we hadn't done that, I don't think I don't think I would have finished. But instead, I not only finished, but I started the game again, played about halfway through, and then played most of Dark Souls three as well. Which, hmm, again, so cra- crazy well. turnaround. Without the multiplayer part, it's just not nearly the complete experience. Me and Brian did some synchronous multiplayer as well, going after a few bosses and. Just going around through that, and I will say that having having Brian as kind of like my guide for the game, my Virgil to take me through the seven circles of hell and all that, um, made things uh, less frustrating. Also, he was able to reveal some of these systems, which, like Clint said, are not 
spelled out for you and out illuminated for you. So I think the synchronous multiplayer, especially with someone who knows what they're doing, that's a very, that's an upgrade to the game for sure. Yeah, Brian made a good point when he talked to me too. He said, this game is meant to be played in a community. And I definitely agree with that. Whether that's looking stuff up online, again, all these systems and mechanics are never explained. And unless you know what they are, you're totally crippled. Like, I didn't know what humanity was. I didn't know what kindling was. If you don't know what those things are and they do not explain them, good freaking luck. Exactly. And every stat has like five different things that it does when you upgrade it, and none of them are necessarily spelled out very well. Uh, like equipment load is super important, probably more important than any other stat, and that, that concept is never explained. The concept of poise, which determines whether you get stunned or not, is never explained. Humanity, like you said, is never explained. Um, all of this is just like noun, verb, adjective, soup. It's just completely impenetrable unless you are guided through it by a more experienced person or an online guide, which, hey, uh, we used We used it a lot. So there is one more thing about the story that really irked me, and it is because this game is like a Rube Goldberg machine when it comes to uh, side storylines and things you need. Like, I got to a spot in the game where uh, I, I was a um, pyromancer, right? And there's a guy that I talk to every time. He's where I buy all my pyromancy stuff. And I talk to him and he asked me a question and I answered it. And then next thing you know, he's gone. Turns out I looked it up online. He went off somewhere and got killed. But I have, and now I have no way of buying anything new or upgrading anything. I'm just stuck with what I'm stuck with. Nobody explained it. And again, it's just like there's a million different people in this game. And if you talk to this person before doing this thing, it totally screws up that thing. And it's like you have no idea what's going on half the time. Yeah, it, it's interesting, and I, it, I'm glad to hear you come around on like the the NPCs in this game because I do feel like while they are few and far between, they have an outsized impact on the world. Like they're all pretty important. Um, and I remember you telling me when you first started this game that you didn't like it because the world felt empty. I would ask you, did that change over time? Do you feel a little differently about that now? Or no, no, no it still it still felt pretty freaking empty. Now I, I understand it's part of the quote unquote. Uh, st story of the game, you know, sure. th things have gone to shit, but <laughs> a, a little less because of the NPCs, and then even less so because of the multiplayer aspect. That helped a lot. Once we turned that on and got that all rolling, for some reason my Switch did not connect to the internet while I was playing this <laughs> game, so I also didn't see the messages from other players and the the ghosts wandering around. Which those are cool touches, little things that make a big difference. I feel when it comes to fleshing out the world, but. Now, how did you guys feel about those little orange signals you could leave for other players or that you um, received from other players? Because I thought, I thought the idea was cool, but I don't think I read anything useful. I did. Yeah, I read a ton of them. Yeah. Uh, especially my favorite ones are the fact that they can totally be fucking with you. Like there's, they have that whole appraisal system where, you can, where people can vote up or vote down. And every time... Like, I was standing near a ledge, and one would say, uh, try jumping. I'd be like, you fucker. But then every <laughs> once in a while, you jump off, and there'd be a ledge down there. I'm like, they're being serious, but half the time, people are just griefing you. Right, Brian? I'm yeah. sure you've seen a ton of that. There's that, and I think an important aspect of those is there's some completely uh, obscure and unfindable, basically, hidden walls and fake walls in this game yes. that you really wouldn't be able to find without those uh, orange soapstones guiding your way. And I found a couple of those that way, too. Like, I'd find a couple of them right, right in front of a wall, and I'd be like, I bet you I know what that is. And sure enough. Um, so, yeah, I thought I thought it was helpful. I especially like that they can be deceptive, and I, because of that, I really like the voting system, too. I thought that was really cool. So I don't know if you guys had any experience with the factions in the game, but all of the factions, I believe, in the game are devoted to multiplayer. And um, the invasion and uh, uh, the invasion system is super important. And I know you probably got invaded by a few uh, red phantoms in your time with the game if you spent uh, any appreciable amount of time human. But... All of the factions in Dark Souls are geared towards multiplayer in different areas, whether it's PvP or defending your turf from other invaders or just griefing people by going in as a red phantom or being a cop and going in as a blue phantom to punish red phantoms. It's a pretty interesting system. It was completely busted when the game first came out, so it never really got a lot of heat for its um, 
synchronous multiplayer capabilities, although I think with the later releases that got a lot more fleshed out and fixed, and I would consider it actually fairly competent right now, if not always completely reliable, as Clint and I found. Sometimes we just couldn't join each other's games because yeah. fuck all. Yeah. I mean, this screwed me over a lot, and in fact, one of, one of these <laughs> situations where I screwed up was I was right in front of a boss, and our favorite man, Solaire, was right there, and somebody <laughs> uh, somebody invaded me, and I swung at him, and I hit Solaire instead, and he got all fucking pissed at me. And then we could never do multi... I, I could never get help from him again, and I had to kill him. It made me so sad. I was like, God damn it, this is like my favorite... I hate everyone in this game except Solaire, and now I've hit him by accident, and he hates me forever. Yeah, yeah, the game can be pretty unforgiving with stuff like that. I think we were talking through, like, your options at that point. You're like, this guy really fucked you over. Yes. Um, it was either, like, go spend, like, 50,000 souls at this priest over at the, the church to... And backtrack for three you. hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or... Uh, or just press on, and you were like, "Yep, I'm pressing on." And and, and he, he was <laughs> he was right by a bonfire, so I literally had to kill him. There was no there was no getting around it. I felt yeah, so bad, was, but whatever. For those familiar with the game, it's the first bonfire in the castle in Anor Orlando. So right after the brutal march up the um, the parapet past the two archers, that is consistently known as like the most difficult part in the the non boss part in the game. Worst part of the game so, for me, for sure. Especially yeah. <laughs> because it ended with Solaire, and I touched the bonfire, but didn't actually rest at the bonfire. So it spawned me back at the beginning of all that shit. It was like insult to injury. It was terrible. The only thing worse than that was I got to the middle of Blight Town, and my only dex weapon that I had broke, and I had no way of getting out of there, and I, I had no strength. It was nothing but dex. I was just stuck. I had to like run like hell back through. It took me like 30 tries. But I basically had to run out and do it all over again. It was stupid. That's pretty rough. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the difficulty of this game. Probably one of the things the game is most known for. And I think what Clint was saying earlier about how the systems are kind of uh, not demonstrated for you or not explained thoroughly and you kind of have to figure them out for yourself, that's one thing. But I think one of the things that stuck out for me is... There's a lot of difficult games out there, like there's Mario levels that are very, very difficult, but the way the levels are designed is that so they teach you concepts, and you know the concept, you master the thing, and then they throw you more challenges, whereas this one, it's really more like a sink or swim mentality. Um, there's no signposting, no guideposting about necessarily what you need to do to get past this boss or enemy or creature you have to go with it i think that's one of the one of the hallmarks of the game yeah absolutely i agree with you and the fact that the world is pretty much indifferent to you and you are not an important player in it is sort of the the overarching theme and the overarching message of the game like you are uh, an infinitesimal speck in all of these different quote-unquote chosen undead it's interesting to note that uh, you are called the chosen undead by a few different NPCs in the game. They're just bullshitting you. You're you're actually nothing special. There are you know they say that to everyone. This cycle has repeated thousands and thousands of times, and it's really a disempowerment fantasy that's going on in Dark Souls rather than the typical video game, which is a power fantasy. Um, the world doesn't care about you. Uh, most games will bend over backwards to tell you you're the chosen one. Uh, in this game, they tell you you're the chosen one, but they're just lying to you. <laughs> yeah, you're just a piece of shit. They, they basically, they, you start out well like everything does. You get kicked into a prison. You're dead. Nobody wants you there. You get your ass kicked. How many, how many times do you die in this game? Oh, hundreds. Is there a death counter? Because I feel this game needs I a wish. death counter. Yeah, I don't. There, they uh, have a global death counter that was implemented in Dark Souls Two. So every death of any player ever in that game was was tallied. Do they make numbers place. that big? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But no, I don't know if there's one for Dark Souls One. It it is interesting, like. When we talk about the difficulty of this game, I think that quote from Hidetaka Miyazaki up top it really does shine through in sort of the game's um, mentality. Like, you are going to overcome this challenge by learning something. Uh, basically, I think the quote he here, I have his quote written down here. Overcoming challenges by learning something in a game is a very rewarding feeling, and that's what I wanted to prioritize in Dark Souls and Demon Souls. Hidetaka Miyazaki. Mm -hmm. I got you. There's definitely some 
mountains to climb. And I think one of the good things about the game, uh, well, I think there's many good things about the game, but I think one of the more standout things about the game were the bosses. Their bosses were literal mountains to climb sometimes, you know, like, uh, yeah, they are huge, they are gigantic, and they are very interesting parts of the game, I think. Some are better than others. You know, even I will admit that there's some complete bullshit bosses. Like, you will you'll find a litany of people cussing out the bed of chaos, and I tend to agree huh. with that. <laughs> yeah, let's say, let's all take a moment and, and list our, our fucking least favorite boss. Is yours the bed of chaos? I think off the top of my head, I'm going to have to say bed of chaos. I really dislike bed of chaos. I did too, mainly because it was crap. Like, there, were, <laughs> there was, it, it wasn't like, I was like, okay, this is this is a fair assessment of my skill, and I'm just not cutting it. No, this is just some dog shit that they put together, and oh, fuck, the floor fell out from underneath me for the 500th fucking time. I, I want to quit this game, goddamn. Like, like it's, it's a puzzle fight, right? It's the only puzzle boss in the game, and this is not a game that did that well. Like, there could be a version of the Bed of Chaos that is good, like an, an interesting and novel puzzle boss fight. I've there's bosses in Zelda games like that that are, you know, pretty good. But this yeah. is not that game, and the puzzle boss is poorly implemented in this well, case. It was a bad puzzle, too. Even when you go online and look up the exact solution, it still doesn't work mm-hmm. nine, yeah. nine-tenths it's, of the time. It's not reliable, and it, it feels punitive. I will say that my least favorite boss with this whole thing was, again, I hadn't gotten as far as you guys have in this game, but the Capra Demon um, that came up. And not... I didn't feel like I disliked him because he was more difficult, but I felt like because the solution to beating him was cheese. And I'm not talking about like Clint where he flings dung bombs at him from I outside I literally the threw arena. shit at him until he died because I hated him so much. Well, that's cheese, <laughs> but like the strategy that the game designers are telling you to take is also cheese. What you're supposed to do is run up the stairs, have him chase you, and then like use this difference in elevation to your advantage where he can't reach you and you just cast spells or shoot arrows at him or something like that. And like it's not even a this is a small tiny room that's only here for the boss. It's not part of the world otherwise. It's specifically designed for you to stair run him to death. It's I, I did not appreciate that. It was like a it's not how the combat was supposed to be, I feel. No, not at all. And this actually, the reason I cheesed him was because I was so fucking pissed about this boss that I said, fine, I took to the internet. I'm like, how do I kill him without doing all this dumb crap? And the answer literally was, throw shit at him from outside the wall until he dies. And Probably it felt okay doing that, though. <laughs> yeah, So, but, but this brings up another part of the, part of the um, conversation that I w- definitely wanted to talk about. And... Brian, counterpoint two: Dark Souls combat is leet. It is. It is the <laughs> penultimate. No, this combat in this game sometimes sucked dicks. Like it was. <laughs> it was the AI was dumb as shit. It, they would literally jump off of cliffs. They could stab you through walls. They put you in dumb, dumb situations like this where you just where the only real outcome was to almost cheese it. And but there is a. Uh, it's so buggy that there's literally playthroughs that are just cheesing bosses. And cheesing means you find some stupid way to f- exploit a bug in the game to beat them because there's no other way. And there were several bosses that I felt like were so unfair that you had to do that almost. So I agree in some places the the clipping issue with weapons and enemies is something that they definitely haven't solved. It comes from the fact that, you know, this is an older game. It came out almost 10 years ago. Um, and it certainly didn't have the publisher support that a current Dark Souls entry would have. So yeah, I agree. The game is it has its rough edges, but you know a lot of games do. So I'll deal with it. Um, to your point about you know boss fights that most easily can be beaten with cheesing. Yeah, I, I hear you. Like if you're especially if you're playing this game alone and you're not doing it with a friend or something like that, the bosses can be very difficult. Though to be fair, I think they are telling you play this game with some friends right it's it's better with others oh they Um, beat you over the head until you decide to do that on your own (laughs) yeah no no that's very true to your point about the capra demon though josh it is notably also the first boss with uh minions like additional things that you have to deal with it has two hounds that appear with the capra demon who is already a formidable force and would be very tough in close quarters on his own so 
if that isn't a clear signal to get a friend to help you here, I don't know what is. Yeah, and after our remnant conversation, we know that Brian hates ads on bosses. Oh, yeah, for least sure. favorite thing. <laughs> I would also say that the thing I didn't like about it was how close you started to the boss, too. Like, if there was a second or two more of, like, the demon and the dogs are charging you, that'd be one thing, but you're right there. Sometimes you make your way back to the boss and you spend a second and a half before you're down. Let's talk a little bit about the combat, too. Uh, Clint, I thought, you know, they did have a lot of depth to the combat, I thought. AI of the enemies aside, there was a the kind of directional attack system. Like, there were enemies that if you attacked them from below, then that would be their soft underbelly or something like that. Uh, which... That's kind of new for me for a game. I don't think I've seen a game outside of maybe some first-person shooters, but I'm not like an action RPG that's implemented that kind of system before. Yeah, this is like most things in this game for me. It opened up over time. At the beginning, it was extremely frustrating. I felt this was like, again, Brian had talked... Just so much sugar. So much sugar. About how (laughs) good this was, and I'm like, fuck this. Like, this game is not that good. The combat is not deep at all. And, And like most things... It got much better. This game is an exceptionally long game. You can spend 60 hours in this game, right? Oh, yeah. First time through, at least. I mean... Yeah, so, like, as it opened up, it got... There was definitely more depth to be found. And I I feel like the combat over time is something that you start to, like, basically break yourself in on. Like, once you get a weapon that you are upgrading and learning its moveset really well, or you're uh, rounding out your... Uh, library of spells so that you can continuously cast enough spells to get through an area before refilling it upon fire then you are you're learning how to get through the game you're le- you're getting mastery of an area or a certain type of enemy or something i think more importantly than upgrading um your various materials or uh, upgrading your weapon is learning learning how your weapon or your spell is going to be used to overcome a certain situation and learning what beats certain types of enemies. Yeah, this was very interesting. This is like one of the first games where literally the XP isn't the the extra point that you're giving your character. It's you understanding. It's it's your understanding of, of the world, and that is the level up. It was it, that that part was pretty cool. That that was implemented pretty well. Yeah. You are the experience points is a pretty good um, summary of how, you know, mastery in this game occurs. Well, hang on a second. Uh, I know we've used that phrase before when talking about roguelikes, about how there's this idea of you're going through the world and learning its rules and whatnot. I guess how would you... I feel like the way Dark Souls does it is very different than how roguelikes do it. Um, What do you guys think? I don't know. It's got some of the same concepts. When you die, you start over. Well, with roguelikes, when you die, you're yeah, supposed to like, start over. over, start over, yeah. This, this is like the medium ground of that, I guess. Yeah, this is, a, I think you could call Dark Souls a roguelite. I think so. Josh doesn't like it when you do that. I keep saying hit me. <laughs> he doesn't like it. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. I mean, it's it, there's definitely things that it borrows from roguelikes. And there's, you know, the infusion of roguelike mechanics back into a mainstream slash or you know third person action game is kind of like the dark souls secret sauce that um one made it a lot more harsh and unforgiving but two appealed to a certain type of gamer that kind of is a big sea change in what up to that point in mainstream third person action games had been the gross over tutorialization from something like legend of zelda twilight princess slash um whatever the one that takes place in the sky is Well, now that I'm thinking about it a little bit, um, I feel like my own answer to that question, what's the difference between them, is both of them are asking you to learn their systems and learn how things work in minute details. But I think 
the big change in kind of flavor is that roguelikes tend to be randomly generated and they'll create hard situations for you. Um, there'll be some challenges for you, but Dark Souls is very designed. Even in the first, like, Upper Blight, uh, not Upper Blight Town, what is it? Upper Undead uh, Undead Parish. Uh, Undead yeah, Parish. Undead Bird, yeah. yeah, they're like, um, they're throwing you into situations where it's like, okay, here's two skeletons and an archer behind them, or here's two skeletons with shields and spears, and they're asking you to learn how to fight these different enemies, but it's a very designed and um, intentional kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Josh, and Clint, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's all bespoke situations and circumstances. If there's one thing I would say about the world of Dark Souls... Uh, it's that it's impeccably designed down to the last placement of the last enemy or the last, you know, item hidden in a corner. Unfortunately, it's designed to fuck your shit up, but yes, <laughs> it is very well designed. <laughs> you yeah. thought it was just the players griefing you with the little no, messages, it, jump off this cliff. The designers are just like, lol, gotcha, bitch. <laughs> no, they're like, wouldn't this be such a great thing for you to overcome? <laughs> yeah. As they laugh, just like all the creepy NPCs in the game. Oh, God. <laughs> the voice actors in that first game, subpar, to say the least. <laughs> Well, when you first run into like the forlorn knight at um, yeah, he's the worst. Firelink Shrine. He is such a creepy dude. Like all the NPCs are varying degrees of deranged or almost insane, but he especially like really gives you this opening theme of just this foreboding, oppressive atmosphere full of deranged lunatic assholes that are not gonna you know rest until you quote unquote go hollow, which means you know you give up and go insane. Right, and then he does. Thematically, that's very appropriate, right? He's the one that goes hollow uh, if you play the game long enough. Otherwise, if you stop playing this game, diegetically speaking, if you give up this game, you go hollow. You know, you don't finish your quest. You go insane and give up. I finally beat it, so I did not go hollow this time. After going go hollow Clint. many, many times. <laughs> Josh went hollow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Josh. I went hollow here. Yeah, it's an interesting game. Uh, like, I like how it's thematically consistent in terms of most people will give up and not complete the quest. But at the same time, it's also a game that deals a lot with cycles. It sort of has its own way of writing in self-perpetualizing of this system. And it sort of highlights the futility of going up against these incredible odds that you're um, putting yourself up against, you know, with every death, whichever, with every re-instantiation of the world when you rest at a bonfire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a background to the world. Um, I know we've talked about this game or that game before being like a Souls-like, and one of the things that was pointed out was a lot of them have a kind of uh, dark, dreary atmosphere sort of thing, touches of gothic for sure. Um, well, I feel that's an important part of this game and, and an important part of those other games too. I don't necessarily feel like that would be a criteria for something to be a Souls-like yeah, I agree with that. Like, if you think about some other prominent souls, like the tone, and the tone is definitely something that is present in a lot of uh, souls likes, but I don't think it's like a highly weighted thing. You can have a, a souls like with a lighter tone, I think. It just, I don't think, I think it, it definitely helps, right? Like, it's more resonant if you're pairing these unforgiving mechanics with an unforgiving world. By the way, we were talking about likelihood of finishing this game. It looks like 15% of people that play this game finish it. That seems which, high. <laughs> which I would feel is, is pretty high. Yeah, that, that's probably way higher than the amount of people that finish you know most AAA single-player games. <laughs> For sure. It's that challenge huh. and the challenge-accepted feeling you get. I do believe it takes a special kind of... Because people know basically what they're getting into when they get this game, they know this is going to be a challenge for the most part, and it's, it attracts a certain kind of personality, too. Not your casual gamer going no, for this not game. A, not even remotely. It's definitely a self-selecting group, but it's worth having the conversation like the, the famous question that's plagued the internet since 2011, should Dark Souls have an easy mode? Um, no, man, and- you got to get good, as they say. <laughs> oh, cool. Thanks, toxic male. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast brought to you by Patriarchy. The toxic male. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the patriarchy. Anyway, uh, like, I love, like, you'll get online and you'll look up, like, how to beat this boss, and it'll be, like, this elaborate thing, and then at the end it'll just flash, you know, the thing, get good. Get good. Yeah. <laughs> so obnoxious. So the, uh, you know, the should Dark Souls have an easy mode thing, I think 
yes, but but warn people. Like, you can, you know, maybe add extra Estuses for something. You know, give them give them different options for decreasing difficulty, but also maybe make it a little more prominent what your options for uh, difficulty mitigation already present in the game are, like multiplayer, like... Yeah, um, explaining poise or weight exactly. load or the I, mechanics of your game. So this this to me is the the, the biggest design um, faux pas of Dark Souls. The biggest like shortcoming here. Like, should it have an easy mode? It kind of already does. Is the short answer. It's just not well, you know, well publicized. Yeah, this is was going to be one of my main points of the game, and I and I hate to even say this, especially because of how frustrating the game was. But I don't think Dark Souls is that hard of a game. Hmm. What's hard no. about it is not understanding what you're supposed to be doing and the fact that, like everything else, it is completely hidden and you wouldn't really know unless you just trial and error the shit out of this game. And and again, this is a game that you're supposed to look to the community to find things out, but how the hell are you supposed to know that? Most games don't require that. It's not hard. It's obscure. Yeah, I mean, pretty much... It was the story, the mechanics, the everything, and I think that's what made it. I mean, yes, it's difficult, but not any more difficult than some of the other games we played. Like Hotline Miami, that game you knew exactly what you're supposed to be doing, and it still kicked your shit in all the time. And that's that was totally fine. Like I was fine with it. If I know the rules and it's beating me, then I just need to get better. But in Dark Souls, I just didn't know the rules. And for some people, the the discovery and learning those rules is like the enjoyable part of the experience. But you know, for some people, it's just frustrating, which I totally get. It's a matter of taste. Yeah, I hated that part. I also didn't enjoy not knowing Dark Souls, having now like gone back to it a couple times and played it from start to finish, knowing all the shit that I know now. It's a entirely different experience. I feel like it's a game that probably, to me, most changes on subsequent playthroughs. Now you've gone through a couple of playthroughs yourself, Brian. Uh, probably beaten the game. What I'm gonna guess three times, four times, maybe. Yeah, I think I'm three going on four with my character that I was playing alongside Clint for this playthrough. One of the, I don't know if I'd call it a characteristic, if it's not, it's really close, is this idea that of sequence breaking. Uh, you can shortcut your way to, into a later level, get some really kick-ass equipment, or go around this particularly hard boss because you know the secret haystack to look into, find the needle of a key, and work through a different door um and it's something that the game keeps new players maybe from jumping into with powerful enemies or kind of mini boss characters that hey if it's your second time through the game you know their weaknesses you know the system already but if it's your first time of the game you can't um you don't know that secret yet so you gotta go through kind of the normal playthrough yeah, for sure. There's even an item that you can get at the beginning of the game. So turns out, I did not know this, but there's an, a master key that will open every door. Almost every door. Pretty pretty much. So yeah, <laughs> if, if you know what you're doing that second time through, you can pretty much blast through to the end. And this is, I talked about this, but I played through a second time just because of this. And it was a way different experience. The first part probably took me 20, 30 hours the first time. I was done with it in two or three when I when I rolled through that second time. Yeah, it's really something. And uh, a, a highlight of sequence breaking to me is I have never taken the depths to Blight Town path down to the second bell since the first time I played the game. I just, I, I can't be bothered with it. I always go the back way. It's the uh, worst. <laughs> I would never do it again. <laughs> yeah. So like, I don't know, that's a very light version of sequence breaking. Like it's more just the idea that knowledge compresses space in this game. And if you know the ins and outs of the world and how everything interconnects, which this game is remarkably interconnected, um, is a really fun way to sort of maybe highlight the areas that you want to hit and minimize the issues that you don't want to deal with. Yeah, for sure. That second playthrough was 100% different. And because I, again, because I knew the systems at the beginning, I appreciated it a lot more. I thought I was just going to play through that first little opening sequence again, but I ended up playing through a, just quite a bit. I got all the way through the, the bells again, and then I got to Sands and decided to stop. But then I picked up Dark Souls 3 just because of that. Like I'm like, I'm going to try this again, and I actually really enjoyed that too. Once you understand the concept and the rules, I think people that played Dark Souls 1 and then played the other ones, it's an enjoyable series. It just sucks at the beginning when you don't know what's going on. 
Yeah, this uh, this game actually made me really want to go back and replay Dark Souls two and and three. Uh, you know, preparing for this really got me back in the the Souls mindset, and I only played through Dark Souls two and Dark Souls three once a piece, and you know. In a, in a perfect world where I had infinite time, I think I would go back and do a, a full series rerun here now. But, you know, we'll see if that actually happens. I want to hear your comparisons between this and the sequels. Also between this and Sekiro, which is another FromSoft game we did a previous podcast on. And by we, I mean you guys, because I didn't play with you along for that one. But um, one of my opening questions for you, Brian, then is that You've played Dark Souls through multiple times, and you said you've only gone through once each on Dark Souls 2 and 3. So, why is that? I'd imagine that the second and third game are probably solving some of the design issues, some of the things we've talked about with this first game. Um, what what do you like about this first game itself? So, Dark Souls 1, I think more so than the other two, seems to reward player knowledge of the game itself uh it it actually seems to grow in terms of the interesting things that it does with subsequent playthroughs like we talked about you're learning more about the world dark souls 2 is not as interconnected it's more a hub and spoke model of world design and dark souls 3 is a relatively straight putt beginning to end with a few sort of side areas um and the interconnectivity of dark souls 1 and the way that everything sort of interlocks lends itself to me to more options for subsequent playthroughs. Now that being said, I just said I want to go back to those other two, and why is that? It's because build variety. I want to try different builds like I have in Dark Souls 1. Now you always tout the story. Do you think that that has something to do with why you weren't as interested in the other ones? Because I've heard that it really doesn't do much new in the second and third outings. It's just like a little bit of flesh out on what they talked about in the first one. So Dark Souls 1 definitely has the most both coherent and intriguing uh, of the stories of the mainline Soul series, in my opinion. Dark Souls 2 does some interesting things with, like, dream logic, and Dark Souls 3 tries to tell, like, how this story actually eventually ends and overlaps on itself across all of the series, but none of them are as sort of coherent, and I can't believe I'm saying this about Dark Souls story. I don't think that's an <laughs> adjective we can use about this game, but okay. Less incoherent, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Less incoherent is good because there's some things that they introduce later on in, in Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3 sort of you know, trying to be nods to the earlier entries, but you know, it just doesn't quite get there. I think they really did they did it right. They got it in one, you know? Dark Souls 1 really kind of had the perfect confluence of a lot of different things and the stories is, is one of those things that I think they did best on this, this outing. Yeah, but I only played 1 and 3, and I gotta say, they definitely had some major quality of life upgrades that, that got rid of some of the just the annoyances in, in mechanics and things like that, and it looked prettier too. But outside of that, I think the gameplay was probably better in the first one, and it was more intriguing in the first one too. The gameplay in terms of what? Combat or exploration or world building world. Yeah. just the, the design of the world and the overlapping areas and how they all interconnect has never been matched in the series in my opinion even in Sekiro like there are some interesting like returns to earlier areas in that game recontextualizations of areas but Dark Souls 1 I think is still sort of the master class in that see I I think I actually enjoyed Sekiro a little better and I and and I think it had a little bit more overt storytelling. Like again, it wasn't like feeding it to you, but of course, it was about a character. That's a huge change, you know. Like Sekiro is a man; he is a person. Yep, uh, I actually really did enjoy. I loved Sekiro. Not it's when I played. Not when I was playing it. <laughs> <laughs> but but shortly thereafter. <laughs> no, you I, love that you beat it. <laughs> and and I truly did enjoy playing it, and and I enjoyed the climb, which is hard to say, especially. <laughs> I think the last boss soured it for me. We talked about that. We, but we like, did, yeah. But like, I, I loved it. I loved it. I hated it. I loved it. I hated it. And then I hated it for a really long time. And then I loved it again. It was... I'm with I'm right with you. And, uh, you know, if you want to hear more about me and Clint, you know, fully geeking out over Sekiro and uh, sometimes pounding the table in rage, listen to that pod. Yep. I've never cursed more in my life. <laughs> <laughs> So 
So, you know, at the end of this game, after you've rung your two bells, uh, gone up to Anorlando and retrieved the Lord Vessel, warped around Lordran and killed four lords to fill the Lord Vessel, you go and you find Gwyn, and he is a shell. He is not the lightning-throwing god that you're introduced to in the cutscene. He's weak. He sort of ambles toward you and then lunges at you with a flaming sword. Uh, Clint, you know, what was your impression of Gwyn? He's got sad music playing. He was, well, he was hard until I learned <laughs> the one thing that could easily beat him. Again, this whole cheese thing. As soon as you learn the parry, you it's can... It's not a cheese. You can, Parrying's hard. He was pathetic. He was pathetic. I think the interesting thing to him, or with Gwyn in the ending of this game to me, is he's far from the hardest boss, right? I mean, he's, like, he's not at the height of his power, and he's actually, I think, relatively easy compared to a few of the other bosses. And it sort of goes to show, like, this game is a real confidence in, you know, letting you take the victory lap, letting you, you know, show that you're now the more powerful uh, chosen undead. Yeah. Okay. So we were talking about story earlier and how about how people take inferences from the game and, and, and turn it into lore, right? I even have one of Brian's text chats right here after I beat Gwen. I think you said, yes, this nicely subverts the ball's hardness of the rest of the game. There's a story here. He's clinging to power when he's clearly past his prime. And I laughed out loud when you wrote that because I'm like, fuck, this is like everything everybody else does. They see something small in the world and they turn it into lore and they make it <laughs> part of the story. Like, I don't think that the designers had that in mind at all. When, of course they, they did. When they designed this. depressing music. There's uh, a lot yeah, of there's, there's If there's sad music, if there's ambling towards you, I haven't even seen a YouTube video of this fight, but it sounds like you're beating it up on an old man right here. Dude, I wouldn't call it ambling. He it's... jumps 100 yards at you with a flaming sword. <laughs> that is not an amble. No, that sounds Again, different for... than like yeah. he's what shuffling you towards you with a cane. No, he is not doing any of those things. Look at the video. <laughs> <laughs> let's go to let's go to the tape kyle <laughs> yeah let's call that back <laughs> no you're you're right i mean he's still a tough boss but like i said there's there's a clear like and you're right people tend to overread this game because it is so like it, it it tries to oversell its themes sometimes and you know it's so obtuse that sometimes overselling is needed to get a point across 100 percent. but it made it way better i gotta be honest it was again the best story wasn't dark souls story it was the story that the internet made for dark souls yeah, it was the story I told you in a text chat. <laughs> yeah, they just made an outline. We wrote the rest of the fan fiction for them. It's your yep. imagination. But yeah, the final thing you do in this game at the end of it is you choose to step into the pyre and link the fire, quote unquote, to basically offer yourself up to prolong the age of fire that these gods that we've been talking about this whole podcast reside in and are in, um, you know, in power during. Or... And most people don't do this. You can walk out of there and the game ends in a different way where you break the cycle and you don't link the fire and an age of darkness, quote unquote, descends upon the land. Yeah, basically you become Gwyn, right? He he linked the fire and became this pathetic old shit and then you're going to kill him <laughs> and then do the exact same thing because that's what everybody else has been doing forever. So this is exactly like Sekiro. You fight through 40 plus hours of grueling shit. You fight to the top of that mountain. You're like, yeah, I made a difference. And then you realize, nah, you're just a piece of shit. This ending actually sucks. Bye. You're like, what? And then nothing changes. Same thing as uh, Hollow Knight. <laughs> you might as well have not even started. Unless, yeah, yeah. yeah, unless you do the stupid hard ending that takes another 20 hours and 10 years off your life. Yeah. They give you the option, <laughs> at least. Yeah, no, Dark Souls doesn't have the the balls hard actually change things ending. It it really does just sell you on this is a cycle. It's yeah. perpetual. It won't stop. Stop trying. Stop playing. Yep. <laughs> the world is shit. You can't do anything about it. Just fucking die already. <laughs> and you do a lot. All right. How about we head into some three-word reviews? All right. Well, for me, this game, I would go with a thumbs up. I didn't get through it. I didn't beat it, but I appreciated the game enough, maybe with the help of, you know, getting by with a little help for my friends. Um, but I appreciated the game enough that I would recommend this to other people. Not to the casual gamer, for sure, and I'm not using the word disparagingly. Uh, this game is 
one of the more hardcore games I've played, but I would recommend it. I had fun with it. It's got some deep systems. It's got a lot to learn. Do yourself a favor. Read the wiki as you're going through it so when you're confused, <laughs> you can know what to do. So thumbs up from me. My three-word review was The Uncaring World. It had a great world, great world building, I thought, great environment, but it also did not give a shit about you getting through that. There was no hand-holding, there's no learning on the job, it threw you into the deep end, and you either learned to swim, or more like you learned to swim over the course of 50 to 100 deaths, or you just sank and gave up. Well, that's a perfect segue into mine. So I wrote at least... I have seven or eight three-word reviews in front of me that I all wrote while I was angry while playing this game. (laughs) And I think the one that I'm most comfortable with is, I'm so confused. This game did not explain, as we all said, didn't explain anything to you. That's not the mechanics, not the story, not, not the anything. You didn't know what you were doing, who you were, or what you're supposed to be going for. But beside all that, once you do get past that that wall of misunderstanding and, and you figure out what's going on, whether that's through a friend or through the community or whatever, it does have a rewarding, it, de- it definitely has a rewarding gameplay behind it and beating it feels good. Like it is a long climb. De- <laughs> definitely not, definitely not for the light of heart. This is not going to be a breezy, like I'm going to play through this on a Saturday. No, you're going to hate yourself for a month, but once you finish it, it feels good. It's a good game. I uh, give it a reluctant thumbs up. <laughs> there you go. We forced the thumbs up out of Clint, so I am uh, I'm proud of myself for pulling you up this mountain, uh, kicking and screaming. My three-word review uh, is Engage, Challenge, Reward. Uh, I obviously give this game many thumbs up. I've you know played through multiple times, and it is probably currently my, my favorite game that I've played. Uh, Dark Souls, to me, provides the right mix of elements to create a really excellently designed world that asks you to slow down and take it in, rather than rush in and get yourself killed. It has a strong story that it doesn't force upon you. It has exploration as a core mechanic that you're constantly rewarded for doing. That being said, it's not a perfect game. Some systems are too obtuse for the newcomer, and some areas are too difficult without the aid of some friends. I also almost made my three-word review better with friends because I truly believe that this game is way better with uh, jolly cooperation, as Solaire puts it, and uh, even be that friends on internet wikis or on uh, lower theory videos. This game is definitely better with friends. Uh, I first came to Dark Souls through critics that I trusted heaping praise on it, and even though I initially bounced off, I eventually slowed down, got the help I needed to push forward, and was rewarded with my new favorite game ever. And next month's game for us is the recent darling of the Game Awards, Disco Elysium. We're going to wake up without our pants on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, die in hilarious ways while (laughs) arguing with the voices in our head. Yep. It's a great game. Trust us when we say this is one worth checking out. Um, So play that, follow along with us next month. And from us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on gaming. And I beat Dark Souls. Dude, so co-op saved it was one of my three-word reviews. That goes right along with yours. I also have digital Stockholm syndrome. In the dark. <laughs> in the dark. What the fuck? And I also, in my notes, I have this whole scathing review. This was actually about Sekiro. Uh, it's but- actually about Sekiro, <laughs> but it works just as well. The title is FromSoft Games Have Zero Respect for Your Time. And I was actually going to bring this up when you are talking about if I had infinite time. Uh, yeah, yeah. This dude's like, this won't apply to everyone, but I, I fire, I find this game too physically and emotionally draining to finish, especially where my time is regarded. With limited times of play on my schedule, I spend months to get through this, and it's becoming insane. Accessibility of Dark Souls is always, to me, like kind of a, a huge sticking point. It's not an accessible series at all, and no. I think it could be improved by becoming more so. I think Sekiro actually was 
a more accessible Dark Souls, and it's still... And it's still too rough, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't agree that it's more accessible. I think it, it has certain things that make it tend towards accessibility, but that, you know, quality of life things, the ability to actually pause, that's huge. Yeah, yeah I, I don't mind difficulty when it comes with fairness, and I feel like hiding the rules from people isn't fair. That's mm. cheating the player out of Unless the part of the game is figuring out those rules. See, I don't believe in that. That's that, that, <laughs> like that's the part that I think is bullshit. the rules, but then there's also, like... The cap redeem. I'm just... I'm back solving for my Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Final thank you for making me play the game. I still hated it, but it was uh, a good... It was that good hate. It's that, yeah, that kind of uh, hate that you feel for, like, the hardest project you've ever completed, or... Or some shitty friend that told me that uh, a game was really fucking good, even though it's one of the worst things he'll ever play but also really good <laughs> but yeah 